God, I, I hope they don't sue us for doing this podcast. Yeti Mike comes to us and is like, listen, dude, seriously. <laughs> You're making us look this bad. This is not what we're f- talking about with this mic, man. <laughs> what the hell? This is what you come up with? Hey there, this is Eric Van Johnson, and you're listening to the PHP Ugly Podcast, episode 24, recorded August 18th, 2016. Today, Tom and I talk about our favorite show, Mr. Robot. We also talk about the San Diego PHP user group and San Diego Laravel user group meetups, flaws that have been found in Samsung Pay, the thick follies continue, being asked to work for free, and Delta loses power. Now let's get started. Hey, this is Eric Johnson. It's Thursday, August 18th. It's time to get ugly. I'm here with my buddy, Tom Rideout. Hello. Tom, you ready to get ugly tonight? Oh, I am I was born ugly. <laughs> That's awesome. How's your week going? Uh, not too bad. Just watched mm-hmm. Mr. Robot. That always makes my week a little better. Oh my goodness, Mr. Robot is just blowing my mind right now. So... You and I are pretty big fans of Mr. Robot. We've had several conversations about where the season's leading, and we had discussed whether or not Elliot was in a mental ward or, you know, potentially a jail, and that he was projecting this calm image around him. Or not necessarily calm, but this this image around him. And uh, I don't know, should we give away spoilers or not? Uh, you know, boy, I don't think we should. Yeah, I don't think so either. Let's just say... The last episode of uh, Mr. Robot really brought some clarity to what's happening with Elliot and, you know, his current status, as well as for me personally, created a couple more questions about how certain things are going on. But it's, man, a great, great series. I think it's, I'm happy to see that they're keeping it so geek heavy. I was worried that they were going to soften that up in season two, and they don't seem to have done that. No, they, they've been doing some really interesting stuff with uh, hacking technology. and some. It's sort of fascinating because the, the stuff that's showable on TV is the stuff that's actually quite easy. So, mm-hmm. And they, they sort of address that in the most recent episode by teaching a non-hacker to hack, essentially, which i thought was a very good use yeah Yeah. i thought that was a very good use of of uh doing some of these basic commands and being very clear about what they're doing and how they're doing it yeah now i'll tell you something that no one can say is no one can say they've been playing a lot of the mr robot video game you mentioned earlier today that you got into it now it's funny because when i told you i was going to rewatch the episode and i watched it through my Google Play account because I bought the season. And when you watch it through one of those services, you don't see the commercials. So you would have never never even known that there's a game going on. Or even right. you know what I didn't even I didn't even get the uh Evil Corp messaging app commercial on really? that uh, no. And I only knew that that was there because I watched it. The, I'd watched the first time I'd watched this show. I had watched it on normal television, hmm. and the commercial stood out in my head. It's like, yeah, really? <laughs> that, that's funny. So yeah, there's a game. So tell me a little bit about the game. What what is the game? Well, the game is published by Telltale Games, and they're known for sort of story-driven, non-game type stuff. 
So they handle the Walking Dead franchise. They just picked up Batman. But it's just storytelling as a game. Sort of a choose-your-own-adventure type of video game. You know, the, Is it text-based? Yeah, the premise is that you basically find a phone and load up a messaging app and people start messaging you on this other person's phone that you've found, which it's no surprise at all that it's Darlene's phone. <laughs> but I'll tell you the thing about it, no one can say they play a lot of this game because it's about an hour between any interaction whatsoever. So I played a game recent, not recently, sometime back, that was in quote-unquote real time, where you're trying to, I, I can't remember what the name of the game was now, but this astronaut has crash landed on a planet and uh they they're texting to you for advice on what they should do off world you're responding maybe off world i don't think that's correct it's off world i'm sorry lifeline that sounds like that that's it and he would text back and says okay it's gonna take me about you know a half hour to get over to those rocks i'll let you know when i'm there and then you wouldn't hear from him for a half hour is it like that yeah, it's it's like that, but with much longer spans of time between it. Yeah, and, cool. Yeah, it's interesting. It's just that it's not a game that you can open up when you're bored and play for a while. It's a game that you can play for five minutes once an hour when it bugs you to do so. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah, and are you working your way through a storyline? Are you still in the storyline where you're working your way through it? Yeah, you know, the storyline is essentially teaching you a complete, you know, know nothing how to do social engineering over text and telephone <laughs> cool so it's so far it's it's pretty interesting it's uh it's not far off from reality mm, nice and you did your git presentation this week right i did get good get good how'd that go uh you know it's a small turnout but i think it went really well everyone mm-hmm. was very attentive and seemed to enjoy it and and it's a it was a really deep dive into the core functionality of git the the internals and how it uses sha ones and trees and stuff like that to manage data and it seemed like everyone really got it there was one slide specifically where once i got it i made this slide and i said here's it here's what understanding git means and uh, a new attendee came up to me after the the meetup and said that one slide i right when you showed that i knew it i knew i got it (laughs) <laughs> and so I was like, that's perfect. That's exactly what I wanted. Because it probably took me 20 hours total time to put this presentation together. It's one of the longest efforts I've put into a presentation for our meetups. Nice. I have to watch. Now, you recorded and streamed that on, the, was that the PHP Ugly channel? Yeah, it's on the PHP Ugly channel. And I've been recording and streaming all of the, the meetups for North County. It's surprisingly easy. And yeah, it's, so far it's worked out really well. Yeah, I, I gotta go take a look at it. I just just got back in town, been been super busy, so I haven't had opportunity to watch it. But I'll probably watch it this weekend at some point. I tell you, I've been putting together the talk for next week's Laravel meetup here in San Diego. Yeah, and it is gonna just be chock full of information. I I am not going to do half the things justice. So I'm talking about the features that are coming out in 5.3 and some of the changes that are being made. And I'm just realizing that if I want to get this talk done within an hour time span, I'm really just going to have to gloss over some of the bigger features like Scout and Passport and just save those as standalone talks down the line. Very nice. 
Yeah, it's, it's good. And good to have it's material. Nice. Yeah, I actually um, was uh, surprised that there was a feature that I I wasn't even I hadn't even become aware of when I read it. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Let me see if it actually works. So, you know, it, with MySQL 5.7, they introduced that new JSON column type, right? Right. Well, in Laravel 5.3, they now have syntax that allow you to do simple lookups and updates of that JSON column type in MySQL 5.7. So it's super cool because you can define this JSON column type in MySQL 5.7, load it up with information, and then you can run where clauses on it from Laravel to look to extract certain information or you can update it with you know changing values or adding things into the json that's stored in that column and i'm like wow this to me seems super useful i was very excited to to come across that i'm looking forward to demoing that for you guys yeah it could be really cool you know one of my concerns about it is that the sequel my sequel group still considers that feature a beta feature they do because it's in 5.7 it's in 5.7 but i believe the feature itself is is considered a non-stable you know i can yeah because i i uh i think it's stable i think it's part of the official release we had the david from oracle come and talk to us at north county yeah about it and i'm pretty sure it, it was it was a stable feature hmm okay i could be wrong i, I don't know i've i've been wrong I see. I thought that it had been included in the latest builds, but it's not a completed feature. There's a lot of missing functionality still. Well, it's not. Yeah, I don't think it's completed. I, I definitely think they're just starting to work with it, and I have a feeling that it will go through some changes. So yeah. Now, oddly enough, that feature only worked with MySQL. Postgres has a JSON column type. And uh, it doesn't seem to work with the Postgres col JSON column type for some reason, and hmm. and as well as any other like MongoDB or anything that's just a JSON right. data store, it doesn't work with that either. But who cares? Who uses any of those, right? That's <laughs> uh, all enterprise junk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How's work going? Oh, not bad. Keeping busy, migrating systems from lots of separate systems into one giant behemoth system. Kind of not fun, but what are you going to do? Yeah, I listened to uh, a couple podcasts, and they're, they're starting to talk about the monolithic application again and how there seems to be a swing back to it. It just feels like an unavoidable, inevitable endpoint for a lot of development, you know? Once again, with Laravel coming out with Passport, which is a, a roll-your-own OAuth 2 server, maybe we'll see some good ideas for creating large cluster applications. But you know, for the time it is right now, it's hard to stay away from building a monolith when you keep getting more work to do. Yeah, I really like the architecture of having the smaller applications, individual smaller applications that interact with one another. But as somebody who's been working with that architecture for a while and definitely have discovered some tricks to make it easier and have gotten my head around the different phases of 
what that looks like, it's not easy. And it's it's more to manage. Uh, you know, you're managing multiple sites, even if they're on the same server. You're having to manage multiple sites, typically multiple cer- uh, certificates. Right. You know, quite honestly, you're usually managing multiple servers because they're they're re- rarely all on the same server. So where it's it's nice from the perspective of you know these pieces can individually crash or or whatever it is and not bring down your entire infrastructure at the same time you know these pieces can crash and it can take a little longer to figure out what piece is actually not working anymore because your customers are coming in through a front door and they're talking to all these microservices and one of the microservices are misbehaving and it, it can be challenging to track down which one of those microservices is giving you problems yeah i'm still a fan of it and i i, I continue to to work through it but yeah, I'm definitely seeing the more podcasts I'm listening to, the more I'm hearing about the swing back to just the one huge application where all your code is, you know, living in the same app. Yeah, now I can say that if you're if you're developing, you know, with solid principles, then your one giant application doesn't really feel like a giant application. But if you start slipping and pointing things around where they shouldn't be pointed and things like that, then it can definitely become an overwhelming mess. Yeah, and I think one of the arguments with the monolithic application was the fact that you typically have more than one developer working on the application at a time, which again, in my head, was an argument for the microservices because each each developer could have a smaller piece of the pie that's completely theirs, their own little microservice. But the argument was that, no, everybody works in the same code base and it's just this huge code base. And, you know, we, we know some of the challenges it, there is just around that version control and making sure everybody adheres to the same standards. That monolithic applications come with their own set of challenges and I think it's, you're going to find that it's just going to be one of those things where it's the grass is always greener. You know, everybody's going to make the swing back to monolithic, and then you know a year from now they're going to go back to the microservices, and it's just going to be this pendulum that bounces back and forth. Yeah, and I've noticed that there's uh, quite a few people. Now, I can't tell if this is just trolling or not, but uh, there's a lot of people who are poo-pooing object-oriented development now, saying that functional programming is the future. Yeah, I've heard a lot about that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that's just trolling. No, no, no. No, their entire language is being developed on functional programming. Yeah, but that's yeah. just advanced trolling. That's, that's, just, <laughs> that's just a dedication to the art of trolling. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't gotten my head around functional programming and the benefits that people are claiming they see with it. And I, I just think it's really smart people getting really bored with doing things the way they do it, and they want to shake it up. Yeah, see, so yeah, that's like, the that's the heart of trolling right there. Is if just too much time on your hands. <laughs> so what do we got to talk about this week? We got anything? We we were poo pooing a couple weeks ago about how there wasn't a whole lot of news, and we had to create this show. With very little news, and last week we got overwhelmed with news. We didn't even get a chance to go through it all. And then this week we're back down to not having a whole lot of news anymore. I think we're okay. I think we've got 
a pretty hearty list of things. You, you've got something in here about Samsung Pay. Yeah. Now, yeah. I, I, uh... I haven't looked into this. What is... Because it's a scary headline. <laughs> so... Not, not that I give credit to headlines, you know. So apparently they've... And everybody knew this was coming. Anybody in the IT field, this was not surprising. But there's a flaw in Samsung Pay that would allow a hacker with a little device to capture the token that's created, that Samsung creates to pay for things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have a video on how the, how the hacker did this. And, you know, it's really pretty straightforward. But, yeah, he captures, he gets close to a Samsung phone, which is it's his phone. I mean, he's doing all this. He's of course, being of course. malicious and everything, yeah. But he, he captures the package on this little, it looked like a little Arduino device that he he'd hacked together somehow and he, he captures his token and then he uses the device to go up to one of these vending machines and use the nfs or nfc near field communication nfc uh feature to make a purchase you know it's going to happen right there's just right i mean if, it, if, wireless single single action transactions no pin number no nothing right it, exactly does seem so, like it's some, just inviting trouble. Yeah, somehow they want us to think that this is more secure than using you know a physical card or something. When the reality of it is, it's just as insecure. Not that using a card is any more secure, but boils down to if you have money, people are going to try to find ways to take it, and you're going to see as these digital wallets become commonplace. Hackers are going to come up with more and more solutions on how to exploit them, and this is just a perfect example of it. Now, this is specific to the Samsung Pay wallet. It's not the Apple Wallet, or uh, there's a couple others out there. But you know, you've got to think that it's just a matter of time before those start to get exploited as well. Yeah, and it's it's only by you know we we look at somebody doing hacking like this and say, oh well, obviously it's malicious, but it, if you can imagine that this kind of vulnerability has been taken advantage of for a year already by a person who didn't disclose it publicly, that's what malicious looks like. Yeah. So, yeah, only more reasons to be scared. Yeah, get, you got to get go that RFID to... wallet, the RFID blocking wallet. I got a friend that has one of those. I'm just going to put duct tape around my wallet. Duct tape that's, and that's... copper fiber. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like the fig craziness is finally winding down i don't know i think it's just winding up do you think it's winding up oh yeah so the fig group which stands for framework interoperability group has has sort of been having a tumultuous couple months here it seems to be a common topic of our show yeah but one of the predominant fig members paul m jones has been blogging quite a bit about what's been going on in the fig group and he's he's basically boiled it down to saying that there's two teams in the fig group now there there's the old the old guard and the new guard the people who see the fig as it was when it was initially established which is just framework interoperability and then the people who see fig as a a source of authority now that it's taken seriously by so many developers 
it can start to expand its scope of the PSRs that it creates. So PSRs that have nothing to do with frameworks could now be proposed and implemented. And he's gotten to the point where it seems like the right thing for him to do is to close the fig, to say the work is done, the frameworks are interoperable, we don't need to keep up the political movements that are going on within a group that's essentially achieved its purpose, uh, which is something that I had talked about with you in the past, you know, with PSR 1 through 6 and 7 approved, what's left? What's left mm -hmm. in framework interoperability? There's not a whole lot. You know, we've got coding standards, uh, dependency standards, communication standards. We're getting to the point where we have event standards. What's the next step that a framework really has anything to do with what's being proposed? So we might be seeing the end of the FIG group. And mm -hmm. uh, it, it might be a quiet end or it might be a very raucous and loud end. You know, th this isn't the first time that this kind of thing has happened in a, a software community. There have been plenty of fights over how things should be considered free and what free really means. And there's the there's the GNU free, and there's the BSD free, and there's the Apache free. You know, so there's there's always been infighting about important issues. Uh, and well, so, what, what, what's your opinion, Tom? I mean, do you think the fig has run its course? I do. I mean, not being one of the the great developers that this group actually has as members. I can't mm -hmm. say what the future holds for brilliant ideas, but it seems like, for the time being, the group has achieved its goals, and that That's a lot of yeah. You know, I mean, I, mean I I don't I don't think whether the I don't know if I buy into the the need to completely disband the fig. I I think maybe there there always needs to be the this oversight committee or board, but but I I also think that kind of what you said yeah what are you doing now besides arguing right you know, it's like what are you trying to to achieve and maybe that their scope of their mission statement might need to be tweaked a little bit just to instead of creating interoperability among frameworks maybe it becomes you know maintaining the consistency of interoperability between frameworks and well, and one of the reasons a lot of people recently left the FIG was the the noise-to-signal ratio is simply too high. There's right. a lot of people constantly talking, many of whom have no input whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It's just criticism and non-constructive criticism and, and noise, and it's hard to keep up with. Uh, I, I think to make something that's gotten this political function, you would have to break it down into political behaviors you'd have to really cut it up and say this is how things are communicated this is how things are voted on this is how things are proposed eliminate the noise in in some way yeah i, I agree and, I, and that's kind of I, I guess what i'm saying is you know let's figure out what the mission is right now and let's try to throttle the conversations that are going on of hey this is this noise is not anything we're dealing with right now so we're not going to address it right yeah possibly something like an annual 
group meeting or there you go yeah something to just cut it down so that the important topics are the ones that are discussed and people who don't want to waste time don't attend yeah i i I completely agree with you there but i i do think that that in that sense fig has run its course it shouldn't be doing a whole lot more work it should be doing maintenance of the psrs as things become relevant or irrelevant you know, if there's some giant implosion with Composer, then yeah, the the Fig group is going to need to talk about it. But you know, outside of that, they're doing what they should be doing. You know, and and it should be a much quieter group than it is right now, at least. Yeah. Uh, now the problem is that the the Fig 3.0 proposal is following the the grand vision, at least as far as Paul Jones sees it. So the new Fig proposal is to start or is to continue working on PSRs that move outside of this framework interoperability functionality and to to try and continue to express themselves as authorities on how PHP should be done. And there are some developers who believe that that is standing on the back of work that they didn't execute. Uh, Specifically, again, Paul M. Jones did a huge amount of work behind PSR 1 and 2 and then was the leader of the PSR 4 push. And if he had been successfully voted out by people who wanted to change the nature of the group as it stands, then that's a pretty big insult to take credit for the work that was done as giving them authority and then kick out the person who did the actual work. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and that's that's his perspective. I understand it. Uh, it's not It's not wrong and it's not necessarily right, but it is a complicated political issue. And we'll have to see how it develops, because the FIG group is uh, is an interesting tool in our tool belt. Yep. Speaking of frameworks, speaking of my talk next week, Laravel did a RC1 of Laravel 5.3. How far are we away from Laracon? That's been two weeks now, right? Yeah. I, I believe he said that the goal now is to officially roll it out for Laracon EU. Which is, uh, what is that? Is that this week or is that next week? Laracon EU is going on. Such a pretty site. Why don't you freaking load? 23rd through the 24th. Okay, so starting next Tuesday. That's next Tuesday, yeah. So, uh, yeah. It sounds like it will probably be released right in time for me to do my talk next Wednesday. That'll be perfect. So I thought it, I, I just thought it was weird that they did RC on it. It's like, yeah, why didn't you do the RC for Laracon US? Because supposedly the only thing that they were waiting for was the documentation. But yeah, whatever. Yeah. Now this will bring us into your next talk, and then boy, I'll be I'll be developing for that pretty quickly. I think. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's gonna be fun, fun stuff. So I got a question for you. Yes, sir. And this has come up surprisingly frequently for running a development shop how often we're asked to work for free and i mean it's very straightforward you know clients want us to work for free and I, i've had this before even when i was a lone developer you know, people are like Oh, I can't pay you, but I can get you the exposure right. if you do this work. You know, it's just curious about if that's something you've had to deal with. I, 
I know I know other developers deal with this, but how how do you deal with it if it's something you have to deal with or you know, I I deal with this in tech support. And I have a lot of friends who just have a computer that just won't work. I can't get my computer to work. I don't know why it won't work. Can you come look at it? And yeah, my answer is simply no. <laughs> I mean, I tell them my rate and then I tell mm. them where Best Buy is. And <laughs> which is tough to do cuz I hate sending people to Best Buy, but yeah. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna work for free. That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's a crazy request, and it, it it's just something that kind of blows my mind that that it's even something that a client feels like they can ask. But see, I I think it's business 101. I think this is something that they teach to to business people, which is it doesn't hurt to ask. Which a it does. Yeah. It totally does. Yeah, it does. And my response to it is. Well, no, I won't work for free, but I will work for $300,000 an hour. Now, do you want to start talking about what that middle ground is? <laughs> right. Yeah, I I understand some of the... I mean, I, I've seen all the excuses. I've seen, you'll get exposure, it's good experience, I have connections, or mm-hmm. uh, you'll get some kind of incentivization for when it does deploy. Oh, yeah, that's the other big one. Yeah, I'll give you, you know, 20% of the company. As right. I think about that, 20%, when we start making $6 million a month, you get 20%. It's like, yeah, yeah okay. That sounds great. <laughs> so you should be able to afford to pay me now then, right? If you're if you're planning <laughs> yeah. on making $6 million a month. Yeah, tell you what, I'll turn down the 20% and I'll work for only $100,000 this month. <laughs> and again, when you approach me as an individual developer and make these outrageous requests, you know, it's funny, and it actually takes some discipline for the individual developer to say no, because you can be guilted into it because you know the people, they're friends, they're friends of friends, and you just really want the exposure, you really want the experience, and so it, it can be very tempting to do that. But to have a have a client come to a shop where they know we have multiple developers that we're paying to do work right? and make that suggestion. is just mind blowing to me. And it's like, and you know, it, it, like I said, it's, it's happens. I mean, it's a pretty common occurrence where that request is made. And I think you're right. I think it's a matter of, well, yeah, you know, just, just tell them I'm the client. This is what I want and I'm not going to pay for it and they'll have to do it. It's like, yeah, not exactly like that. Yeah. I think my kids try that on me every once in a while, but having an adult try that on you is a pretty uh, interesting position to be put in. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I I take it a little bit personally because I'm like, wait, are you saying I have no value to you? You Yeah, and that's what I'm saying is that I think the the implication is that there's no harm in asking, but the reality is is if somebody had asked me to work for free, I wouldn't work for them for money. Yeah. Because it, it means that they've established a value on your work, and everything above that is begrudgingly done so. Every, that's every, very insightful. Every dollar, very insightful. every dollar is squeezed from a rock that doesn't want to give you a dollar. You know, And it's, it's a shitty situation, because yeah, you might still be able to squeeze that dollar from the rock, but is the effort of squeezing worth the dollar you're getting out now? And you, you don't want it to turn into this every week having to convince them that you should be paying me. Right, because it's a dev shop, not a collections agency. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, that was just my little rant. That uh, One of those things that we, we deal with, and I'm just like, I wonder how Tom 
addresses this. I let me put this in the show notes and see. Uh, ask his opinion. Well, on, the way I address it is, I don't speak with people. <laughs> me and people just don't. You, you you stay you stay wealthily employed and not have to worry about yeah. negotiating. I prefer salary. I prefer to function through a chat client where I can say, "Oh man, I just I didn't get that message. I haven't been here all day. That's that's crazy." You know. Yeah, that would be a, that would be another thing. It's like you know the having. It's like you want to say the person who's asking you that. It's like okay, what if your boss came to you and said, "Hey, I, I don't think I should pay you for the next month. You know, you should continue to work for me, but I shouldn't have to pay you. Are you comfortable with that?" Well, oh. hey, ask him. Ask him if you can move the software to a free license. <laughs> this is, I don't want to do that either. We'll work for we'll work for free if we can open source the project. <laughs> You know, make an open source project and just put it out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. A, it's a shitty situation. No one wants to be stuck there, but people keep putting us there. <laughs> well, see where we're at. We're where are we about at? Forty minutes into this, we've wasted you wanna... forty minutes of twenty-three people's very valuable time. I know it's going down. Our, our listening audience. I, I think we've had a few people die on us. Our, our listening audience is oh, going down. I hope not. I hope our podcast isn't related to that. Have we killed people? <laughs> <laughs> Cause of death. PHP ugly. It's the third yeah. one this week. <laughs> We're we're doing all right. I still see that we're getting you know forty something forty something hits per episode over time. Yeah, it just takes a couple weeks. Uh, I'm gonna give you one more topic. All you right. want to talk about one more thing? And Let's listen, blow this away. Let's la- kill it. Last week we ended negative story with negative story with negative story. So it's up to you to end us on a positive note. What's what are you gonna go for here? Are you gonna are you gonna? Oh, you, you want gonna me to free- grab the story? I don't care. You can grab a story. I will grab. Can, I will grab the story that grabbed me the the moment I saw it. The Delta power cut strand. Uh, thousands of passengers are stranded because of computer and power failures at Delta. Let me open this back. Wow, up. I'm, I'm peeking on my microphone. I how how is this related to tech? This got covered everywhere. Computer outages, stranded, thousands of people. All the flights were grounded. My issue here is why did this get coverage? I mean, like, why did this get so much coverage? Everyone was talking about computer failures and how a massive computer failure brought down all the systems. And to me, it's like, this is another reminder that people don't understand computer systems, that they're they're absolutely going to fail at some point. There will be massive outages of every computer system at some point. Yeah, but I mean, you've you've got to question delta's architecture if yeah i I mean i guess a very extreme case i could see this happening but delta's not a small company you think they would have failovers multiple regions of failovers i think that's the thing that probably surprises people the most i know i worked for a big enterprise company big electronics company you would think looking at them and looking at at uh who they are and what they develop that this is a leader in technology like everything they do is cutting edge and it's very much like the wizard of oz you pull back the curtain and you see the the hamsters they have running in the wheels that keep things going and you're like right oh my god seriously this is how this this and that happens 
more frequently than I think people are aware that you think these Fortune 500 companies are just cutting edge. They've sunk billions of dollars into their IT group and they have multiple failovers around the world. And the reality of it is they're not. The IT is one of those big targets where budgets can cut the most. You're always asked to do more with less. And that's the whole philosophy of, hey, computers are getting faster. I need fewer of them. I don't want to pay for data centers in the U.S., Europe, you know, South America. I, you know, it's just, I don't want to pay for redundancy because redundancy means I'm paying for stuff I'm not actually using. Right. Well, I think so. You know, one one interesting if a, a lot of uh, tech nerds geek out over cabling. If you go into a data center and see a rack with really nice, smooth, clean cabling, you just say, "Oh, that's that's fantastic." I just love to see organization on that level. And the reason is because if the wiring in the data center is nice and clean, then the assumption is that that travels uphill. That you know, the the wiring between switches is the dirty part of the job. And if that looks really nice and clean, then it's an assurance that the rest of the work is nice and clean as well, you know? But we don't we don't get to see what really happened with Delta. We don't get to see why the system crashed and burned and the guy who had a really, really bad night working on it the entire night trying to get it back up and running. But to me, this is just one outage of billions that happen you know delta goes down it's 2016 2018 you're gonna see any number of other systems and services go down we just found out that uh, every eddie bauer store got compromised and all the credit cards got stolen this the very nature of security is that you're mitigating risk not eliminating it and if you keep on breathing you're going to be compromised at some point the lesson that should be learned from this is response People sitting in an airport being told, oh, we'll give you a $200 voucher for another flight. Probably not the best response from Delta. Well, I always find it surprising how absolutely crippling it is now for companies to be without their IT, without their computers, without their the digital process and workflows. It's like, sure. you know, there, there, there were airports before there were... You know, all these computers, people, there was a way to handle this before. Have we lost that art? You know, there's a, uh, I, I, I went to a, a store recently where they were, they were going to close their doors because their credit card machine was down. <laughs> I'm like, really? You're, you're closing your door because your credit card, you know, there's cash. There's all, you know. You don't have I, the carbon paper swipey thingy anymore. <laughs> it's like, really, there, there's absolutely no way for you guys to continue to do business when, you know, this little piece of your business is down. I went I went to Bevmo and my card wouldn't swipe and the guy pulled the the card the carbon fiber Get credit card here. He pulled it out from under the counter and I had to walk him through how to use it for about ten minutes so that we got all the information there was supposed to be and he got oh, the receipt. Crap. I don't remember man, I I have not seen one of those things in so long. I I remember one of my first jobs was I worked in a clothing store and I remember having to call the credit card company because you swiped a card and it was it was being declined. Right. And so you had to call them up and read the numbers to them and, you know, get verbal approval, which is something that just doesn't happen anymore. Nobody calls anybody for verbal approval anymore. If you want to really try a fun experiment, write a check ID on your name on the back of your card. 
and mm-hmm. see if anyone ever checks your ID. They don't even no, half no the time one. they don't even take the card anymore. Right. No one cares. It's no. the chip and pin leaves it completely in your hands. You have no no reason to sign the back of your card whatsoever. I remember ten years I'm ago. I'm not a fan of signatures in general. No. It's like it's <laughs> what kind of security like, is that? Exactly. It's like what is this? This is you know, I have my signature I was showing somebody this week. I have my signature as part of um Mac OS X has an application application they called preview which allows you to view pdf files and and edit pdf files and one of the features it has is you can actually import your signature and then paste your signature on pdfs it's right. like what is the point seriously <laughs> i mean i i have my signature i have my wife's signature so you know whenever we both have to sign something i just put both of our signatures on there it's it's meaningless it has no value well, and the question too is: Is that illegal? It's not. It's not. It's not illegal. <laughs> the whole thing is is crazy. I mean, I, boy, I don't want to spin off into another topic. But how many contracts are you currently operating under the the authority of right now? You mean for work or just life or? Like I would say, at this very moment, you are a party to X number of contracts. I mean, just the big ones for me is, you know, my, my, my loans for my house, my car. I mean, all of those are, are pretty big contracts to me. Yeah, yeah. You've also got a phone. You've got the software running on your computer, the software running on your phone. And then there's also something called an implicit contract. So your headphones, your microphone, your monitor, they're all under a contract that you use them in an approved manner. And if you misuse those products, you can be sued. And then there's the God, DM- I, I hope they don't sue us for doing this podcast. Yeti Mike comes to us and is like, listen, dude, seriously. <laughs> You're making us look this bad. This is not what we were fucking talking about with this mic, man. <laughs> what the hell? This is what you come up with? Yeah, there was, damn it. There was a recent story about HP, I believe it was, including a contract on the shipping crate for the ink that was being sold in stores. So that... Upon opening the shipping crate, anyone who purchased the, the, the stock was under the contract that was stamped on the crate. A, a contract that well, they could not see, you, but they were do under. Do you remember back in the day when you used to actually purchase software in stores, you would open up, your, open up the software and inside right. would be the agreement that said, hey, by opening this package, you've agreed to this to this contract and how to use or to this license and how, how to use the software. And the big argument was you can't even see the license until you open up the package. How can you agree to something you can't see? It, it was, it was, well, this now crazy list. there's the DMCA. So your coffee machine, the Keurig coffee machine will only accept Keurig brand K cups. You were telling me about this, I think last week. And if you attempt to use another brand of K-Cup in your Keurig machine, you are breaking the federal law. It's a felony. I looked at my little K-Cups. I, I see no way that that could possibly have any sort of device on it. Try to, to put the same one back in. What do you mean? There's a refill system which they explicitly blocked from being functional by requiring these RFIDs. I think you're being paranoid, man. You're totally going into the woods here. I don't think you're right. I, 
because the the carrig actually comes with a um, manual thing that you can put your own coffee in. I think you're off the reservation of this one. Either that, or or I have an older version of the Keurig that doesn't have it. But maybe maybe it's a newer thing. But I don't think you're right on this, this one. This was a this I, was a 2015 not, thing. The the Keurig 2.0 machines. Yeah, I don't know what version I have, but but either way, I you know you think about the number of contracts that you're under right now. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah. uh, terms of service that you've agreed to. Those are binding contracts for the time being. You know, 20 years ago, you were under three. Your mortgage and your car and maybe your second mortgage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But now you're under hundreds at any given time of day. And I think there's something something rotten there. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think the lawyers have taken over the world. That's my upbeat ending to the show. Something's rotten. <laughs> <laughs> there's something ugly. It smells like coffee. All right. Well... I think we've reached a good point here. Peak ugly. To, uh, to wrap things up, yeah. How do you want to wrap this up this week? I do have a new way to wrap this up. You want to hear my new way to wrap this up? Let's. God, we, we need an ending or a beginning or something. I've absolutely we got sure, it. We sure the hell don't have any middle show there. So I, I want to speak specifically to the people who listen to and like our podcast. If you could leave us a review or rating no, no, on iTunes. No, don't ask them to do that. That would be Absolutely. Horrible. Positive or negative. I don't care, man. No, not negative. I don't care. What, what are you thinking? Leaving us, leaving us a review on uh, our just, iTunes just channel us, would be just very helpful. Just let us know helpful. you're out there. Be, just let us know you're out there. Speak to us. Three and a half stars, just right down the middle. No. What are you saying? No. Oh, good God. Five, five stars five stars yes if you're not gonna leave five stars don't bother leaving a review but then i sound like an uber driver that's fine i'll give you five stars tell you what there's a deal if you're a listener to our podcast i will give you five stars if you give me five stars i think that might be illegal i think i might have just broken the contract (laughs) (laughs) there's a terms of service specifically about that It would be right. it would be really helpful to us to have uh, to have some reviews on our podcast. We, on we the, should uh... probably we really should probably stop talking now. No. Oh wait, no, that's how, yeah. I'm sorry, I forgot that. That's our new that's the new way we end our shows. We should really probably stop talking right now. <laughs> You've been listening to PHP Ugly. I'm Eric Van Johnson, and I'm Tom Rideout. Later. Thank you for listening to the PHP Ugly podcast. PHP Ugly can be found on Twitter at PHP Ugly. You can also follow the host, Tom Rideout, on Twitter at RealRideout. And myself, Eric Van Johnson, on Twitter at Showcom. That's spelled S-H-O-C-M. See you next week.